box up here. Um, all right, I won't be preaching from every verse that we read through, so don't worry. Unlike Chris, I don't have 24 weeks to speak on 10 verses. So uh, let's, uh, <laughs> let's go through the text. Um, today uh, I'll be speaking on the first two verses, uh, the, the preface, the uh, introduction to the 10 uh, commandments. And over the next 10 weeks, 11 weeks including this week, some of the guys will be going through each commandment. And hopefully, uh, today I can give you an introduction and uh, go through the preface as well as tell you why uh, we should teach the Ten Commandments or why should we, we should hold to them. So in society, actually let us pray first and then we'll get into it. Our God, we thank you that you truly are a good God. We thank you for this day where we can come and worship you. I pray, God, that you'd help me to be clear about these beautiful ten words that you have spoken. And we pray that people here can listen to your, to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if we just look at society and we observe, we see that there's always some sort of moral code. When, there's either, when one moral code leaves, another one comes in. And if you study, uh, I guess, anything pre-World War II, you study anything on the communist or socialist movement, they're always trying to push a moral code. And one of the first things they do is they want to push out the old. So in a lot of cases, what they want to do is push out God and push out his moral code. Uh, we see that through history. But I thought I'd give an example that is a bit different because not of us are influenced by some of the uh, socialists. Well, we are, but we don't know it. But I'll talk about Netflix. Now, some of you great Christians don't even know what Netflix is, but it's a little streaming thing that you get on your TV. And I'll teach you a little trick. I, thought, I used to say this as a joke, but I'm convinced it's true. If there is a little N on it, which is a Netflix original, and there's someone famous on it, it's a propaganda film. I'm completely convinced. Anyway, the other week I came to watch one. I got through about 20 minutes, and I kept watching two or 20 minutes. I turned it off because it was a very horrible movie. It wasn't even good. But if you ask my wife, I love whinging about bad movies and about bad agendas. But we see here... What they're trying to do is to push an agenda. And I'll, there was many, many things they were trying to push. The movie was so bad that you'd, you could even consider it as a right-wing parody on how bad the left is at pushing their agenda. I won't mention the name to save you from boredom and to save your time. Um, but I'll tell, you, I'll tell you three things that they were pushing through the whole movie. One is it doesn't matter which God you believe in. Because religion is dumb and it's something that's of your parents. It's something that belongs to your parents. And you know what? Since we're on your parents, your parents and family are irrelevant. Actually, they're dumb. And if you watch the movie, you'll see that. And one of the other things they pushed, amongst many other things, was culture, community and traditions are all bad things. They are just things from the past. So we see society always trying to push a moral code on people. And if I think you look around you, if you look at um, even the agendas of what we prayed for tonight, you will see that there's a lot of things being pushed on our society. But tonight we want to talk about the moral law of God. Uh, it's also known as the Decalogue, which is 10 words, so 10 words that God spoke. And obviously we know it as the Ten Commandments. You see, the modern wider church and um, many Christians today have started to see, we started to lose the significance of the Ten Commandments. It's lost its place. 
You see, not just in the way we speak about them. Some people go on and say that uh, if you preach on the Ten Commandments, well, that is legalism. Some people will say, well, the Ten Commandments are just for the Old Testament, and that could be considered as antinomianism, which is like no law. We don't have law anymore. We only have grace. And there's all these extremes. For time's sake, I will not go through all them, but just to give you an idea. And, and just to let you know, I'm really scratching the surface of this topic. Um, I left more out than I put in because there is so much on this topic. But I think the guys over the next 10 weeks will do a, a really good job at helping you to understand where they sit in our society. And hopefully I'll give you a taste. Um, but more than just these fancy theological words, um, we see that Christians have lost the Ten Commandments just by their actions. You see, Christians don't really talk about the Ten Commandments this much. And I'm not in particular talking about this church. I'm talking about the wider, the wider church. It's sort of lost its flavor. It's lost its, its, um, its importance. And so, so, so let's look at the text this morning. I want to look at the text. And um, just before we get to the text, where, where the text sits in, in the Bible is, well, we have creation yeah, in Genesis, and this is Exodus, obviously the next book. But between Genesis and the flood, there's about 1,600 years. And any of your young kids want an assignment, you can go count all the numbers up in your Bible. I just Googled it, so if I'm wrong. Um, and then from the flood to Abraham was another 400 years plus, 430 years or something. So you've got about 2,000 years there. And then in between Abraham and the giving of the Ten Commandments is another 400 years. So you've got about two and a half thousand years um, where there is no Ten Commandments. Um, but as you understand, many things happened within that time. Um, okay, and then when we lead up to the Ten Commandments, hopefully you guys know the story of Moses and how he was in the basket, raised up in a palace, then he left and was... Um, he left and then it was a shepherd and then the burning bush. And then we see um, him come back to Egypt and he does a bit of wizardry and then God stretches out his mighty hand and there is the exodus. We see the people of Israel free after God fought this great battle, showed all these magnificent pl plagues and his might and his power. And then they cross through the Red, Red Sea. And then three months later, we end up at Mount Sinai. All right, just wanted to catch you guys up. I've got a lot to get through because the next 10 weeks, I want to make it easy for my friends who come up here. So let's look at the text. And it says here in, in chapter 20, verse 1, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Who is this God? God comes and he says, I am the Lord, your God. It's different to Genesis 1. It's not just in the beginning. There is a lot before this. You see, we had um, the burning bush and that great conversation. But who is this God? And, and I guess sort of more importantly, what right does this God have to give a law to these people? If we were to think of it like that. So we see, we see in this, I am the Lord, your God, it's a personal God. If we look back to the bush, if we look at the Moses and, and the burning bush, we see God say this. God says, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. They say to me, oh, so, and then Moses says, um, what if they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you to me. You see, the word uh, Lord and then this I am, Moses, um, Moses and the people of Israel would have understand exactly who God is. You see, this is Yahweh. This is the self-existed. This is the God who creates. Um, this is the one who keeps his covenant perfectly. He not only enters into his covenants, but he keeps them. He is Lord. He is Jehovah. He is eternal. And, and Matthew Henry like sums up this God like this. He is the fountain of all being and power. We see that he is the eternal God who spoke the world into existence. He created everything, including mankind, including those very people. You see, he even created Israel, put his stamp on approval as them as a nation with blessing through his covenant. He is their king and as their creator, covenant keeper and savior, who better to give them this law than this one true God. You see... When God created well, the, the world, when he created man, he did not create something um, that's completely outside himself. You know, if we were to think of it like a painting, if, if we were to do a painting, sometimes we'll do a painting or a drawing or, or something that you've created and you just put it aside. Maybe you even hang it on the wall for something and it, and it may be beautiful and you may hang it on the wall and you may be proud of it. But in reality, that painting is something that exists outside of you. But that's not how the creation works. You see, in Colossians 1.17, um, Paul, speaking of Christ, he said this, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. You see, we as men, as mankind, nature, we are all dependent on God. And you see, this law, like his creation, was not something of an afterthought. It wasn't something that God was like, all right, I'm going to brainstorm. I've created, there's the fall, there's all this mess. I better come up with the law. And I better come up with the law is perfect. Because I'm God, I can backtrack. That, that's, that's not how I see it. I don't think that's how it is at all. That's not, that's not how God operates, for he's perfect. You see, the law of God, just like creation, flowed through him. You know, the Psalms talk about the creation that, um, that show God's glory. And we can see in creation that it shows God's glory. And the law, in the same essence, stems from the character of God. You see, God's attributes never contradict each other. His holiness or His love, they do not clash with His intelligibility. They all work together in perfect harmony. So His creation of the law is not something that is um, outside of Himself or contrary to His attributes, but they flow from his attributes. They flow from his character. They are a reflection of his very character. Again, that is another thing which gives him the perfect right to give us these commands. No one else can teach man how to live. No one. Um, Master states that the, the traditional view um, that the Christian held was that the Ten Commandments are eternal. That God's character will never, never change. And from eternally past to eternity future, they, his, his character and his law will remain the same. His moral law. 
It's if, if God was to say, okay, in the New Testament, it's okay to worship other gods. Well, you could, you could start worshipping idols now. That would be to deny himself. He, he cannot do that. It is outside his character. And that would be contradicting his character. You see, it's hard to look at it in the negative. But you see, every command has a... Um, every negative command has a positive virtue for the negative command. You see, to not kill your neighbour would be to love uh, your neighbour. Um, but to, la- to love our neighbour, we cannot do it in any old way. It must be in a way that is re- reflective of God. And we see, Chris mentioned it this morning, but the story of the good Samaritan. You see, this Samaritan did something beyond the imagination of this guy who asked the question. And we'll talk later about grace and we can never work, but, but we see the love of God. It's ever flowing. So God, but God does not need to bring himself under subjection of the law. It is absolutely not. He, he definitely doesn't. It's something that flows out of him. It's something that comes out naturally. You see, God doesn't love because it's the right thing to do or it's a command like we should. But, but love is good because God is love. And that's the order of creation. That's the order of the love, uh, of the law. These things happen because they come out of God. You think through every one of the commandments and maybe go about your week and think through all the commandments and try and see how God's character can go through, through all of them. Um, and, I, and I'll give you some examples. You will see that there is only one true God. Um, you will see that He needs to be worshipped. You see that he is the giver of life, not the taker. He continually gives freely of many blessings he does not take or steal. You see that he is faithful. Remember, we did Hosea recently. And he is faithful. Now, if anyone remembers Hosea, you're probably scarred from Carol's questions. They were way too hard at the quiz night. But But we see Israel playing the prostitute that keeps cheating on God. And what what, what did God do? He was ever faithful. So when he makes the command to do not commit adultery, it is not contrary to his very character. And this is the God of the commandments, the eternal God, the creator God. And these commands were given by the one true living God. Our next point. These commands were given to a saved people to the people of God let's look back at the text and I read it again I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage you see these commands were written to those who were already saved they were specific to a particular group of people They weren't a set of rules to say, listen, keep these rules for five years and then I'm going to come back and grab you out of Egypt. That is not how God operates. We we learned it very vividly this morning. God is so purposeful in the way he saves. He, He just comes in and he enters your heart and he changes it. He takes out your heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. I was very grateful for Chris this morning because he'd done all the hard parts. So I could just come here. And just give you some gems. So these commands were written to a saved people. 
You see, he brought them out of slavery. He saved them. So this makes this personal God their saviour. And even by gratitude alone gives him right to give them commands as saviour. But by bringing their saviour, he saved them from slavery to freedom. He didn't save them from slavery unto slavery. See, if you, if you know your history, there was the Greeks first and then the Romans came in. And the Romans didn't come in and give the Jews their independence. They just gave them a new type of slavery. But this was different. You see, this, this, this kind of command, it, it, there weren't commands of oppression, but there were commands of freedom. You see, the Ten Commandments, these ten words touch every single part of the believer's life. And as they, as they, touch, um, as they touch every part of the believer's life, they bring about an enriched life. You see, if you were to think of a society where there is no rules, where there is no, no I guess, logic, or, or, or God's law. If you think of a society, you think of chaos and, and, um, and I guess, uh, random, just, just complete randomness, complete chaos. If you've, um, if you've watched, um, there's a movie called The Penis, and it's, it's a great movie um, about a, a guy who, who was in hiding during World War II. He was a Polish Jew. Anyway, one part of the movie is the, the, the Germans used to do this very thing. They used to pull, they used to have a line of 20, 30 people, and they'll pull out 10 people at random, complete random. They didn't care about age or gender or anything, complete random, and they'll go ahead and shoot those 10 people. And it was complete chaos, no rule, no law. I mean, that is an extreme example, but... But we see without this law, there is no freedom. When a community is completely entrenched in sin, there is no freedom. And um, you see, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the law was never intended to save. Never intended to save. And, and let's look at the order. We talked about creation. And then let's, let's look at this order. God created... God chose Abraham to be in covenant. God saved Israel. You see, God from his goodness, from love, moves first. It is always God who takes action. And he did not do all these to oppress his people, but he did them to free them. You see, these commands were given to a community of saved people. So they could live without sin. So they could be free to worship the one true God. They were not only saved from physical slavery, but they were saved from sin. We see in, in Romans 9, uh, and, and I'll read this now just to, just to prove the point, because it, it wasn't just because you're an Israelite that you were saved. It wasn't because you're part of God's covenant people. Not because you obeyed these ten laws and because you were a Jew. No, it was because of the promise. It was because of Christ to come you were saved from sin. Romans 9 verse 6. But is not that the word of God has taken no effect? For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are all they, sorry, nor are they all children because they are seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh 
These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. You see, in context, it is all about Christ. It is all about what God did. You see, only those who were saved by promise, by the work of Jesus Christ, one can come to salvation. In Galatians 2.16, Paul again says this, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. No one, no flesh will be justified by this law, but through Christ. So even if a man with all his might tried and tried and tried, he will never save himself. You see, we are sons and daughters of Adam. We are born in sin. We are born guilty before God. And what person, who can say that they have kept the whole law? Can any of you really say, I am perfect? I have kept even one part of the law? Who here can say that they have loved God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength every moment of every day from the day they were born? You see, the law is heavy and it's hard. Not because God wanted to set a challenge. No, because salvation is from God. But because they reflect who God is. You see... Because of our sinful nature, because of being born guilty, we will stand guilty before a holy God if we were to stand there alone. You see, we are unable to cleanse ourselves of our sins. We rightly deserve the wrath of God and his punishment. It would be unfair if he was to pardon us for no reason. For we, we are breakers of his law. And if you break the law, you deserve Punishment. This is why we need Christ. You see, the Ten Commandments are made for a saved people, were given to a saved people, but the beauty of the Ten Commandments is they point us to Christ. Look what, look what again, Paul says in Romans 7. He says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetous, covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. He's saying the law is not bad, it's not sin, absolutely not. But the law showed me my sin. And we know when we see our sin, we know we need Christ. They, work, they should work hand in hand. That, that's the way the gospel works. You see, if we are here today and we are looking at this mountain of law as we read the Ten Commandments earlier from the Scriptures, and we are thinking that this mountain is way too high to climb, it is way too hard. You see, I know that I am a sinner. I know I break God's law every day. Well, it should give you comfort that you are absolutely right and you are not alone. That's why you need Christ. You see, only by faith you are saved. Only by repenting of your sins and believing in Jesus can you be saved. Not by keeping 
this law. There is nothing you can do. Nothing you can do to keep the law and nothing you can do to prove yourself innocent before a righteous and holy judge. You see, only Jesus was able to keep the law. Only Jesus was able to keep it perfectly where he could die on the cross and take away our sins. Only he could take away that punishment. And because of Jesus, we can stand righteous before God. Only his blood appeases the wrath of God. So I hope as we go through the law that you would look at your sin and realize your desperate need for a savior. As a saved people, let us show you a sin and show you that you need Christ every day. For it is only by grace that we can obey God in his commandments. Okay. So how, how do these commandments fit in our life today, in this day and age? You see, if, if God saves us and these laws cannot save us, then what is the purpose of keeping the law? And for all the parents out there, I know what just went on in your head. What is its purpose? <laughs> the catechism songs. Um, so what, what is its purpose? Let's, let's look at the way in which God gave these commands. Let's look at the ways distinct. There was, a, there was a reason why we started reading from verse 19. Because I wanted you guys to see the manner in which the commands were presented. Firstly, we see that there was fire, thunder and smoke. And then God speaks these ten words with a mighty voice. Before this time, God was speaking through Moses. And then God gives all these rules for people not to come close to the mountain. And then he descends. And he speaks with a mighty voice these ten words. He speaks it so mightily that the people tremble. They tremble so much that they say to God, they say to Moses, Please, you intercede on our behalf, lest we die. So these words were delivered in a significant way. First, again, God spoke these ten words. Not only did God, um, God spoke these words and the rest of the law, the civil and the moral law, were given on, um, through Moses. I guess through, through some, a middleman, someone in the middle. So that, that's one difference. Another difference is the ten commandments were written on stone by the finger of God, where all the other laws were written on parchment. The ten commandments were also kept in the Ark of the Covenant, which was kept in the Holy of Holies of the Temple, which was separate to the other law, which uh, was not kept there, which was kept outside that place. So why was the Decalogue, why was these ten words treated so differently? Well, if we were to look at um, history, they looked at these, as I mentioned earlier, as the permanent moral law reflecting God's character. Um, and as such, being distinct, I would argue that they're absolutely relevant today and relevant to our lives every single day. You see also the difference in between the absolute morality of the instruction in, in chapter 20, giving of the Ten Commandments, and then the next 
um, the next chapter, 21, it, it becomes like application. And, and the wording is different. It, it changes completely from one chapter of the other. So we see this distinction between the moral law, the Ten Commandments, and the other laws. So, even though these Ten Commandments are powerful and strong, we, we should not think that their main purpose is to change the world. You see, they were given to the people of God, even though they're a part of the fabric of creation and they stem from the same God who created. They are given to a saved people. Um, so, um, so, I want to look at the New Testament and what it says about the law. But I, but I want you guys to sort of understand um, then, like, really, what, what is its purpose? And, and De Young summarized something C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to read it word for word because I, I think he does it justice. But um, this, is what he, this is what he says about the Ten Commandments. That um, it is like getting some good news of arriving on solid ground after a short, shortcut gone awry through mud, muck, and Myra. After fumbling about in the squishy, stinky mess, you're relieved to finally hit something solid, something you can trust, something you can count on. And I think we can all relate to that. But it's this solid foundation of God's moral law that makes it different from everything else. It doesn't come out of some internal goodness. So let's look at the New Testament and I'll quickly go through verses for time's sake. Jesus did not come to abolish the law in Matthew 5. Do not think that, he, Jesus says, do not think that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. Again, Jesus on the law in Matthew 22 says this. A teacher, um, sorry, someone asked him, Jesus, what is the great commandment? What is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. I want you to pay attention to the word hang. You see, Jesus does not say that these two commandments are all the law. No, he says hang. The modern version says depend. These words link love and law. They do not separate them. They sort of work foundational. Paul does the same thing. And he goes, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love yourselves, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. Love does not harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Again, Paul is not saying love is the law. He said it's the fulfillment of the law. Again, it's his bridging language. It's not abolishment. It's not a replacement. It's they they complement each other. The one fulfills the other. It is that foundational. The, the law is still the foundation, and in love we are able um, to do them. You see, John John um, Murray, when he's speaking about behaviour, he he says this, and I think it's important because of our current situation. 
He says this, We do not find that love is conceived of, um, sorry, as an autonomous, self-acting agency which of itself, apart from any prescription or regulation, defines its own norms and behaviour. He simply says this, Love does not exist on its own, it's not self-creating, and it does not define its own rules. You see, love on its own can be unruly. I really don't think I need to explain this if you just look around the world today. You see, the Ten Commandments are all linked together. To get rid of one, or to get rid of the first four, to get rid of God, you'll start to lose the second part of the Ten Commandments. They all link in together. Look now at the world. Look at the West. Look at Australia. Look at the battle cry of love. Everything in the name of love. You've all heard love is love. But, but look at what they've done. In breaking the Seventh Commandment, they've, they've pushed for same-sex marriage. You see, and to do this, what did they have to do? They had to push God out of the way. And this has been on the agenda for many years. And now what are they doing next? They're starting to mutilate young children. They're allowing parents to do surgeries on young children. And again, look. Look at the Ninth Commandment. Do not lie. Look what they're doing in our schools. They're teaching young people. Forget the schools, they're lying to themselves. They're teaching young people that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man and then they can say a man can have his period. It's crazy. It's lunacy. And people are buying into this. And I don't have to mention this last one, but we need to mention it. Do not murder. What society would break that? What society, what Western, civilised, educated society would break that law? And you know, this state, New South Wales, does not count how many babies it aborts. There are people in this very room who have been encouraged to abort their babies. This is a society without the moral law of God. And can you call that freedom? See what I was saying before? This is the freedom that God gives. This is why the Ten Commandments are not oppression, but they are freedom. They are beautiful. They reflect the character of God. I'll give my last few points quickly. I've run out of time and I've got a lot of pages left. But I'll just quickly mention the points. One, they produce holy living. And there are many texts in the New Testament. Again, we read Paul. It talks about how it points him to show his covetousness. Hebrews talks about the opposite. I'll quickly, I'll quickly read it. It says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he had said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. You see, the writer of Hebrews takes the negative of the commandment and gives the positive virtue. And this is one of the great purposes in living a moral life. To be more like Christ. Do we not all desire to be more like our Saviour? These give us a foundation of where we can push for. Another point is gratitude. He saved us. He loved us. We should be grateful. You think of your kids. It's nice and it's good to teach your kids to say thank you. But when your kids are obedient... 
Isn't that the greatest gratitude? It's funny how it works perfectly. Obedience produces a, a, a gratitude. I'm not a great enough wordsmith to explain that, but, but it's a beautiful truth. Um, and this last point, I've mentioned it, that's why it's the last point, definitely not the least. Um, but a part of helping us to live moral good lives, it points us to Christ. It points us to Christ to show us his beautiful nature, to make us fall more in love with him every day. It, it, it points us to Christ to help us to become more like him, help us on our journey as we head towards glory. And it points us to Christ as it shows us our sin. You see, the world is always going to try fill in this moral void. We are made as creatures who need a moral compass. Without God's word, uh, and I'll just say this one thing actually. You see, the New Testament is not destroying the, the moral law, but it's, it's expanding on the moral law. And you see it. The, the New Testament is not, I don't see it as light compared to the Ten Commandments. But that's why we must look to Christ. We need Christ daily. So I encourage you over the next ten weeks as um, the guys come up to preach, I encourage you to think of four things, to ponder on four, four things as you come into these, these meetings. Um, that you would think on the character of God through every commandment. That you would look to yourself and look at your own sin on your journey to become more like Christ. You are coming wanting to know how each command will enrich your life. And that you will see your great need for Christ every single day as we live as Christians. Let us pray. Our God, we thank you for you are truly a beautiful God. You are a God um, who is good to us, who gives us these laws because you want us to live free. You want us to be able to worship you and love you. You want us to be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we ask God as we go about our week that you would help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and that you would help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name.